0: Today's reading is from Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks be to God. Thanks, Justine. Good morning. Every night when I was a child, before I would go to bed, my grandmother would sit on the side of my bed with me and read from our mine, my precious moments Bible. I was like five, okay? Give me a break, right? Precious Moments Bible. She had purchased that for me, and as she was sitting on the side of my bed, we would pray this prayer together. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. As I grew older, I found out that there were many different renditions of this prayer and even in tr- early childhood, as this prayer is taught and as it is cognizant and uh, remembered in our minds, it's a prayer about protection. It's a prayer about trusting God. It's a prayer about, God, may your will be done in my life and our lives together. God, may that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we grow, so too does our cognizant ability to remember and recite prayers. I remember, like it was yesterday, learning the Lord's Prayer. At Brunswick and I Methodist Church in Ohio, where I grew up, Miss Sheffield, a 95-year-old woman, taught it to me. And she taught us to go line by line to remember and to recite the words line by line, taking a moment to have those words resonate in our minds and written on our hearts. Over the centuries, many Christians have said, I have said these words of the Lord's Prayer time and time again, but they don't really have the same meaning as they once did because they become ingrained but more so oversaid in our hearts and in our minds that so we don't take time to recite those words time and time again. What does it mean to pray like Jesus has taught us how to pray? To not just waft up or loft up empty phrases, but to truly pray to a God whose name is holy and hallowed, that which inspires awe and reverence, to genuinely pray that God's will is done, that we want God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. To fervently pray that God will provide for us sustenance and substance Our daily bread. And, a big and here, and, can we say that together? And, for us to be forgiven as we forgive those who have something against us. All while asking God to lead us, not into times of trial, but deliver us always. In making a commitment to prayer, friends, we individuals and we collectively Together, we are connecting and committing to praying that God will change our hearts and our lives together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Holy, hallowed God, we give you thanks for this day, that we are able to come together for worship, to praise you in song. God, open our hearts and our minds and our spirits this day to the hearing, the listening and the enacting of your word. May we truly be the people that you have called us to be, and God, change our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to be the people that you have called us to be. So God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. God, you are a rock, and you are our redeemer. And all of God's people said, Amen. In our scripture lesson from the Gospel of Matthew this morning, as Justine read for us, Jesus is knee-deep, knee-deep, giving the Sermon on the Mount. This this Sermon on the Mount started in chapter 5 and goes through chapter 7. So knee-deep, chapter 6. Jesus has been busy talking about what the kingdom of God is like, what the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus' entire Sermon on the Mount is about Going through the social norms and even the societal cast of that day and turning it on, turning all of them on its head, including the values of that day. Blessed are the poor and the mourning and the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are thirsty. Blessed are those who are merciful, the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers and those who are persecuted and insulted. Blessed are they, because Jesus says that there will come a time when their season, that season that they are in, will be no more. For they will be filled, and they will be comforted, and they will inherit the earth, and they will inherit the kingdom of God, and that season that they are in will be no more. Following Jesus continues in in teaching, and he teaches about anger, He teaches about murder. He teaches about adultery and oaths and divorce and praying for those who persecute you and and loving your enemies. Man, turning all of it on the upside down. And friends, Jesus doesn't just stop there. He continues with condemning what we normally would view as good things, doing good, praying for others, and giving to the poor. But Jesus isn't so much condemning the actions of of prayer and giving to the poor as he is condemning the fact and the superficiality that they are done in. Jesus says it's a matter of the hearts. For Jesus, he wants us to become more genuine in our prayers, in what we do as we give glory to God and as we commit ourselves to the life that Christ has for us. Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites, right? Who stand in the synagogues and on the street corners who are seen by others as they pray. Don't be like them. Or even worse, get ready for this. Don't be like the pagans who keep babbling because they think that their words will be heard if they say many words. But Jesus says, this is how you should and this is how you ought to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Let's continue to say that together. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we forgive those who have debts against us. And lead us not into temptation. Ready for this one more time. And deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This prayer is a culmination of the entire Sermon on the Mount, all of chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. This prayer is Jesus' thesis statement. The prayer begins by identifying God as who He is. God is our Father. And then it goes on to say, God, our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. May your kingdom come, not my kingdom come. May your will be done, and not my will. May that kingdom come, and may that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In this prayer, we are surrendering to God. We are saying, God, it's not about me. Can we say that together? It's not about me. Amen. It's not about me, it's not about my own wills, my own wants, my own desires, but God, it's all about you. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are putting God first in our life. We're putting God on the throne of our lives and we are yielding ourselves to God. Prayer is about forming and shaping our hearts. It's not about telling God what God doesn't already know. It's about shaping our hearts by praying to these things and for these things to make them the desire of our hearts. And then, after all of this, then we truly pray for what we need, what we want. We go into praying for our sustenance and substance, praying for our daily bread, and praying that God will forgive our debts as we forgive those who have debts and trespasses and and have sinned against us. When we commit to prayer, we're truly getting to what Jesus had commanded, what is at the heart of Jesus' message. That's not about us. It's about God. It's not about our own ego, our own wills, our own wants, or our own desires. But it's about God. We can't treat God like a cosmic vending machine lifting up the prayers of our hearts and praying for something instantaneous for a result or an answer. Instead, Jesus in the Scripture was trying to teach us that if we yield our lives to God in prayer, notably the Lord's Prayer, everything in our life changes. Our entire being, our lives become ordered better, everything works better, and we become the people that God intended us to be. A commitment to prayer changes us from the inside out and the outside in. From the time of the early church with the early disciples, there's this thing called the Didache, D-I-D-A-C-H-E. It's the early instruction manual for a life of prayer and faith. And it was written by the apostles, the 12 apostles. And they instructed how to pray and and when to pray. And and in the Didache, it's, it's written that we should pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day, morning, noon, and night. The disciples did this as a way of forming and centering their lives on Christ. And fast forward a little bit to the 1500s in the time of Martin Luther. We have him praying the Lord's Prayer in two different parts. One at the night, and one in the evening, and one in the morning. At night he would pray, God, forgive me, forgive us of our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us, as I forgive those who trespass against us. And lead me, God not in temptation, but deliver me from evil. And then in the morning, as Luther, Martin Luther would wake up, he would pray, God, lead me this day, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All while knowing that repetition, that God is going to lead, that we are in need of forgiveness, that God is going to set us on the right path. In a commitment to prayer, both the early disciples and Martin Luther's lives were forever changed. Prayer for them was not solely about communication with God, which it is about communication with God, but it was also a call to action, to go and do and be about the work that God has in store for us, to go and do and be the body of Christ so that we can transform the world together. Amen? The people at home can't hear you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Friends, we are called to go and be and do about the work that Christ has for us as disciples of Christ. Even those early disciples didn't just sit there, did they? After Jesus had resurrected and after Jesus had ascended. Did they just sit there? A little louder, no? No, they went to the ends of the earth, to the four corners of the world to transform the world, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And too, Martin Luther didn't just sit there after he prayed, did he? No, he nailed 95 theses on the door of All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. 95 theses, 95 grievances, 95 problems that he had. A commitment to prayer moves us into action to have our hearts be more in line with the heart of God, to be the hands and feet of Christ in the world. In 1979, as the Nobel Peace Prize was given out, Mother Teresa, or Saint Teresa, gave this speech... And she gave an impassionated call to action for a life devoted to Christ and a life devoted to prayer. And in her speech she said this, Prayer without action is no prayer at all. You, you have to do the work, all of the work, as if everything depended on you. And then, only then, give the rest to God. How will God work through you? And how is God already at work through you and through us as we commit ourselves to a life of prayer? A couple of weeks ago, you may have received in the mail, and if you may have misplaced it or maybe you didn't receive it yet, uh, I invite you to stop at the Connections desk on the way out. But there are two commitment cards. One is a financial commitment card, and the other is a commitment that we can make in the life of the church, ways of of service, ways of worship, ways of being in prayer for one another. And Pastor Emily and I and Pastor Monica have have told you time and time again, and we've invited you time and time again to prayerfully consider the commitments that we can make in the life of the church so that we can better serve one another and better serve Christ. Amen? Amen. My friends, in t- all times and all places... We lift up the prayers of our hearts and our minds. And it doesn't matter if we pray individually or collectively. It doesn't matter if we pray in the stillness and the quiet or we pray in out loud or we pray prayers that are spontaneous or we pray prayers that are scripted. But it is in, with, and through that interaction and communication with a God who is outside of the cosmos yet as close as our next breath beautiful people, wherever you are on your faith journey, wherever you are in your prayer life, I want you to know that God hears your prayers. Amen? I want you to know that God hears those prayers of praise and the prayers of thanksgiving. God hears the prayers of, of times of confession and times of asking for God's forgiveness. God hears them. And in our prayers of lament and grief, God hears them. Amen? Amen? Ours is a God who doesn't stand aloof and afar, but is as near as our whispers, as near as the breathing and beating of our hearts, as near as the whirling of our minds. Ours is a God who is present at all times and in all places, in the hospital rooms as people are passing from life to eternal life. As those who are being birthed into our midst, God is there comforting them and giving them love and great care. God is at all times and in all places present with us, bearing us, accepting us as we make consequential decisions throughout our lives. God is there, accepting and loving, healing, comforting, present when we need Him more. God is calling us and inviting us to find respite in our times of distress. So take a deep breath. Ready? in times of distress and comfort in our times of grief. In our times of grief and distress, God is there with us. When I was about eight years old, I was in and out of the hospital with many different asthma-related illnesses. And that fall, the doctors were treating me for pneumonia, and a couple months went by, four months, and it became spring, and I was still sick. Still not healing. And so my mom finally took me back to the hospital for a follow-up, for a checkup. And after m- months had gone by, finally it was time to go there. And so I saw more doctors, I saw more nurses, I saw more hospital staffs, and they ran so many tests, 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 tests. And it ended up that they were testing me with an immunoglobin test, which resulted in me having to stay in the hospital for six months as an eight-year-old child. Six months. And they found out that I had a rare disease, a rare disorder called Job's Syndrome, which is bacteria in the lungs that affects multiple parts of your body, especially your immune system. It was rare. The doctors didn't know how to treat it. There was a little paragraph like this in the medical journal sometime. That was it. So constant monitoring day in and day out, constant trial and error. They didn't know what to do. I was eight. I didn't know what to do. I started weeping, started crying. My mom, my grandma, everybody started crying. What are they going to do with me? Finally, the first day I was there, two visitors showed up. And every day while I was there at the hospital for six months straight, every day two visitors showed up. One was my home church pastor and Miss Sheffield, a 95-year-old woman that I told you about earlier. My first grade Sunday school teacher, she was probably now 97 by that time. She made that 45 minute one way trip every single day with Pastor Don. And just prayed for comfort, for healing, for God's will to be done in my life, in, with, and through the lives of others. And always as they concluded their time with me and my family, we would pray the Lord's Prayer joining our hearts together and, and with one voice. My friends, it was their actions that were intertwined with their prayer that, that put prayer in the center of my life. It was a commitment to their visiting and their commitment and praying and showing up and being committed and connected to the body of Christ. It was a commitment to prayer that they had made, not only that changed their lives, but my life and the life around us. It's not about having the right words. It's not about having the the right mode in which we pray. It doesn't matter if you light a candle or you don't light a candle when you pray. It's about showing up, putting your prayers into action. Prayer is about seeking the will of God and listening for that still, small voice. A commitment to prayer changes our life and the lives of those around us. Amen? This morning, I'm delighted to share with you a video of some of the folks here at Ebenezer who have made a commitment to prayer and the many ways that they have seen God at work in a commitment to prayer. So I invite you to take a look and be in prayer together of how we can commit ourselves and our lives to prayer. Let's watch together.
2: We pray each night around the dinner table to give thanks for the things that went well that day and lift up the things that didn't. I pray personally um, when I need lifting and strength to learn to control the things that I can and and let go the things that I can't. Um, And those are all ways that I can quietly recenter, refocus and remain uh, at one and at peace with my faith. I pray when I walk into the hospital and pass the chapel every morning. When I'm not working, I pray when something strikes me to pray. To me, prayer is just a conversation with God that can be had in any location, any time of day, out loud or quiet. And I like to break it down in three practical steps, where one, I'm praising Him and thanking Him for all the blessings He's given me. Two, admitting my shortcomings, knowing we've all fallen short of the glory of God and sin. And lastly, knowing that we have a God who is just and merciful, asking for forgiveness from that loving God.
0: I'm pretty excited that I get to work at a place where I can pray at the beginning of a meeting, in the middle of a meeting, at the end of the meeting, or any time at all.
2: Personally, I like to pray at the end of every day so that way I can connect with God, reflect on my day, and give thanks to Him. So I found many years ago that the best place that I can pray is in the shower. And I know that sounds really ridiculous, but. It's 15 to 20 minutes of just my time and nobody bothers me in there. Uh, Nobody's banging on the door. It's just me being with God in a very quiet space. And so a lot of times I have people who pop into my brain uh, that I really feel like God has placed there. And so I can pray over them. And it's just a really nice, peaceful time for me to be able to spend in the morning before I get started in my day with God in my fuel for men small group we had a study on prayer this was years ago it was a great study and one thing they taught you was to pray immediately if you ever tell someone you're going to pray for them don't tell them that and walk away grab their hands or ask for their hands and just pray right then I've done that with believers and non-believers. We've gotten cards after the fact from the believers saying, thank you so much for praying with me on the front porch. It meant so much to us. And even from non-believers, word got back to one person, a non-believers family in Russia, and they were amazed. And the next time they had a crisis in their family, they sent word back to the United States saying, please have your friend pray for us again. It's an incredible practice. Don't just say, I'll pray for you and walk away. Ask for their hands and pray right there.
0: I think one of the most important parts about prayer is listening to what God has for us. And so I often pray while I'm driving. I normally am listening to worship music, and it gives me uninterrupted time to be with Jesus and to listen to what he has for me.
1: Friends, it's making a commitment to a life of prayer that changes our hearts and our lives. Amen. So may we commit ourselves this day and every day to what God's will is and that that may be done in our lives and in our churches, in our communities, and throughout our world as it is in heaven.